Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Jesus, we love you. And we are grateful uh, that we um, are not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our pasts. We're not defined by our worst days. It's because of you that the worst days and worst moments in our lives don't have a say in who we are because of who you say we are. And so, Jesus, today, I pray that, that even as we walk into this place, uh, Lord, knowing that, that there are moms in the room that, Lord, are tired because they've got to carry it all. They have to carry all the weight. There are moms in this room. There are people in this room. There are dads in this room. There are kids in this room, Father, that, that need to know that, that who you say we are is the only thing that matters. Who you say we are is the only thing that counts. Who you say we are is ultimately, at the end of the day, what wins. So, Father, today I pray that as we unpack your truth and we unpack your word, that we get to hear what you say about us. And that all those messages and narratives that want to creep into our brain and try to disqualify us, Father, that those would be drowned out by your truth, the truth that comes from your word. So, Jesus, we love you, and we pray all this in and through your name. Everybody said... So I listened to a, a podcast this week, uh, and, and in this podcast, this guy named Ben told this really funny story about he and his friend when they were in college, um, and, and that was the same, very similar to my college experience. Uh, when the weather gets warm like this, when, when winter finally starts to break and spring really starts to kind of move in, like the weather gets warm, people start to hang out outside, and he's telling this story about how there was this hillside on his college campus right in front of the girls' dorm, that when the weather would get warm, all the girls would go outside, they lay out their beach towels, and they would study outside. So what do you think all the guys would do? Also go to the hill because there, there was something to be studied for, right? So he, he and his friend decided, listen, there's got to be something that differentiates us from the rest of all those dudes that are going to show up. We've got to have some sort of game plan that's going to get us more attention. So what are the things that girls love? Like girls love kids, can't do that, right? Girls love dogs, so let's go get a dog. Let's go get a dog. If we, if we show up with a dog, this will be great. Like we'll get the attention. All these girls will pay attention to us. Oh, you have a cute dog, all this kind of stuff. And so his friend goes, got it. And goes to the Humane Society, right? And comes back with, he says, man, he calls him on his way home, says, listen, I got a great deal on this dog, right? They gave me a great deal. They waived the adoption fee. We essentially, the only thing we had to pay for was like food and some supplies. So he comes in with this dog and he says, the coolest part about this dog is it's three quarters wolf. <laughs> Which I don't know how you do that, but anyway, three quarters wolf. This dog is, comes in with this dog that's 75% wolf, Right? has been in a shelter, you know, has been caged up, and this is his first experience of freedom. And so, again, being college guys, they, they hook him up to, to the leash, and like, we're going to the hill, right? Here we go. So they take it, they take this dog to the hill, and again, at first, everything starts to work out. Like, they go, oh, and like, all these people come up to him, all the girls in the girls' door, oh, they, yeah, that is such a beautiful dog, so cute, right? And he got a Frisbee, so he's like, watch this, right? Again, not tested. Not, that this, this animal has not been proven throws this frisbee into the, this, the, you know, frisbee goes into like a wooded area into some trees. The dog takes off running. He's like, see, right? What a good dog. I trained him myself, right? The dog comes back, right? Dog disappears for a minute. And, and so he's talking with some, some of these ladies, like some of these college girls that are on this hill. And before he knows it, he hears people starting to scream, right? Laughter turn into screaming because the dog reemerged from the woods, not with a frisbee, but with a bunny in its mouth, and so this dog is tearing this poor rabbit to shreds, right? And, and the, the dog's game was like, while the guy just wanted to throw the frisbee, catch the frisbee, the dog played its own game, which is throw the bunny in the air and then pounce on it. 
over and over and over. And so finally, finally they had to hook the dog back up. Like, oh, well, sorry, we'll get him out of here. We'll have to hook the dog back up. And they took him back to the Humane Society. said, we don't know if we can handle a dog that's 75% wolf. And the funniest part, too, was from that point on, they, they were freshmen in college. From that point on, anytime they go to the Hill, they're like, hey, were you the guys with the dog? Like for their entire college career, instead of being noticed, like, oh, those guys have the coolest dog ever. It was like, your dog ate that rabbit. Like, yes, that was us. That's, that was us. But in this podcast, one of the things the guy says is, you know, like we had faith. We had faith that this dog would do what we hoped. We had faith that this dog would get us some attention. But the dog didn't do what we hoped he would do. He ended up being destructive, not only to a poor rabbit, right? Circle of life, right? It's nature. Uh, it ended up being destructive to our reputations. It looked like the real thing. This dog looked like the real thing. It looked like a dog. It barked like a dog. It was similar to a dog, but it's not a dog. It's a wolf. And I feel like that story really kind of encapsulates what this whole series has been about, right? When we're talking about simple, what it means to uncomplicate the with God life, how we live this with God life. In our lives, there are things that should be simple. They should be pretty straightforward. They should be pretty easy, but they wind up becoming overly complicated and and really complex. There are aspects of our lives that should be straightforward. And what happens is this, they get loaded down with all of these kind of contracts and conditions and terms of service and, and loaded expectations and unfair agreements that kind of set us up to fail. And when that happens, even though our lives might look similar on the surface to what we thought they'd be, Below the surface, they're not working out at all like we hoped they would. We're spent. We are tired. We are lonely. And what we thought was safe or who we thought was safe or this relationship or whatever it was or, or this or what we, the things in our lives that we feel like, well, that seems safe. Now they're a little dangerous and they're kind of scary. And just like the wolf, there's a potential for them to be downright destructive, not only to us, but to others. For example, When we kicked the series off, we talked about this. We talked about the simple church. A simple church should be a place where anyone and everyone can come as they are, encounter the gospel, and become all that God desires them to be. That should be it. That should be it. That that should be all that we have to deal with. It should be that straightforward. It should be that simple. That when you step into a church, that's what you know the reality is. It should be that simple. Come as I am. Don't have to check my mess at the door. Encounter the gospel, get to hear a little bit more about what Jesus does, what he makes possible for us, a new reality to live in, right? And become all that God desires me to be, to be able to come out and escape from the past, to come out from underneath our regrets and our mistakes and our failures, to step into a new, it should be that simple and that straightforward. But what happens is this, we start to add our own conditions, or someone else starts to add different kind of stipulations to this. We say, well... Maybe not everyone can come as they are. Right? Maybe not someone who looks like that or someone who lives like that or someone who lives this lifestyle or that lifestyle or someone who believes that or votes like that. Like, maybe not everybody can come like that. We say, we say come as you are, but, but, but don't be a hot mess all the time, Right? Don't make too many mistakes. Don't be a total train wreck. At least kind of have your stuff together. And we say things like become all that God desires you to be, but I don't know. You might be too broken to fix. You might be damaged goods. There might be nothing we can do with someone like you. And here's what happens. We start adding our own conditions and our own contracts 
and our own if-then statements. And something as simple as the church, the mission and purpose of the church, gets complex and gets complicated. And here's what happens. You walk into a church not knowing if you're welcome here or not. You walk into a church not knowing if you can ever really belong or not. It's not about acceptance, right? It feels more like forced conformity. Anybody ever felt that way? Everybody felt that way? It's like, I don't know that I can be accepted unless I make my life looks like, sounds like, is like this. You must feel like it's, like it's less like acceptance and it's more like forced conformity sometimes when I walk into the doors of a church. A church should be simple and safe, but when it gets complicated, it starts to feel dangerous. It might look similar to what a church is on the surface, but it's not going to do what we hope it would. And that kind of church can not only be dangerous, but it can also be destructive, not just for us, but for the reputation of the church, for the reputation of Jesus. We put words in Jesus' mouth that he would never say, and so when people see us, they think that's true about him. And you can apply this to all the things we talked about, friendship and community. Our friends and our community should be simple. It should be a group of people that we can lean on and rely on and depend on, right, regardless of our situations or circumstances. But what happens? They get complicated. Contracts and and conditions, if-then statements, they start to make things more complex. And before we know it, relationships and friendships and community becomes places where we have to look the part, act the part, and sound the part. Or if we don't, we're out. If we don't perform and meet expectations, we can lose our community. It might look like real friendship on the surface, just like that wolf looked like a dog, right? But, But beneath the surface, it's a pack of wolves, just waiting to devour you at the first sign of blood, the first time you make a mistake, the first time you fall on your face. It's over. Suffering and humility, which you talked about in the last couple weeks, those are real aspects of the with God life. Suffering and humility are real parts of of faith, right? Historically, I'm just going to be real, the church has not done a great job teaching around these, right? And this should be simple. Here's the truth. We should create space and allow for suffering and humility for ourselves and for others. But, But we think this. If I suffer, am I even a real Christian? Like, isn't, isn't like the Christian life supposed to be kind of positive and, and good vibes only all the time? Suffering should be in that. If, if I'm suffering, then he, like, this is the crazy part. If I'm suffering, then maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm not praying like I should or, or, or reading my Bible like I should. Or, or, or maybe, I'm, you know, maybe I need to add an extra quiet time. To, to my week, which is already packed and full, we somehow kind of blame ourselves for suffering. Or sometimes we, we look at God and we blame him for things that he didn't do and he's not responsible for. If we show humility, won't people just think that we're weak and that we won't take a stand or pick a side to fight for? I mean, despite the fact that there are things like humility and suffering, those are real, right? Those are difficult parts of the with God life that are real and true. They should be relatively simple and straightforward, but they get complicated. And here's how all this plays out, right? We end up living a life that might look similar to the with God life that Jesus makes possible. It looks, it looks similar to the with God life that Jesus makes on the surface, but it's not the real thing. It's not the real thing. And just like those guys in that wolf dog, right, it's not going to work out like we hope it will. At best, at best, this complicated life is flat out exhausting and frustrating. But at its worst, it's dangerous and destructive for us and for others. And so today, 
we're really going to kind of get to the heart of all of this. Really, this today is kind of part one of a two-part message, right? So the sequel is next week. Make sure you come back, right? Over the next two weeks, we're, we're going to unpack simple faith and simple faithfulness, what those two things are and how they work. They go, they go hand in hand and they work together. But what I want to do, and if, you, if you're new to Adventure, right, the way we take notes at Adventure is you take out your phone and you take pictures of the screen. Unless you can just write really fast. If you've been able to write as fast as I talk, good for you, right? Um, but easiest way to do this is to take pictures of the screen. So I want you to take a picture of these next couple of sides. I want to give you two really simple definitions before we dive in. Faith is this. It's who or what. We believe in, trust, and have confidence in to provide us what we need and take care of us in life. That's kind of like faith is this kind of big, vague word, right, that we can apply to all kinds of different things. And so, like, we really want to drill down into what this is so we can get at the heart of what it means. So faith is this. It's who or what. It could be a person. It could be a job. It could be your paycheck. It could be your house. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It could be a thing. It's who or what you believe in, you trust, and you have the most confidence in. We'll talk about this later. That word confidence comes from a Latin word, confide, which means acting with faith. It's what you have confidence in that's going to take care of you and provide for you. That's what faith is. You believe in that. Now, faithfulness works very similar, right? Faithfulness is how we bend and shape our lives around who or what we have faith in. Faithfulness is how we live, right? So just make it really simple. Faith is what we believe faithfulness is how we live based on what we believe. And here's the truth. You and I will be faithful to what we have faith in. That's just how it works, right? So, so if I want to know what you have faith, if you want to know what I believe in, all, all we have to do is kind of watch each other's lives for a real short period of time, and you'll be able to tell about me, I'll be able to tell about you. Here's what you believe in, and here's how you order your life around that, right? That's how that works, and so this is what Paul's getting ready to walk us through in Philippians chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, we've been walking through this letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a group of people just like us in a place called Philippi. Now Philippi was this kind of high-end, pretty affluent Roman military retirement colony. It's where people who were pretty high-ranking officers in the Roman military went to retire. They were well-fed, well-taken care of, pretty important, pretty influential, right, pretty wealthy. And so there's this church of kind of these outcasts. There's, these church, there's this church of people who are, who are outsiders, outcasts, not necessarily the most qualified people that have kind of formed within this, this place called Philippi. And Paul writes this letter to them. Here's what he says, starting in verse, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate, who mutilate the flesh. And we'll pause right there for just a second, all right? Because Paul says in verse 1, he says, first, when it comes to faith, we are to rejoice in the Lord. He says, it's no trouble for me to say this, which basically means this, right? I know you've heard me say this a thousand times before, but I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. What Paul wants to get across from the, from the start is this, faith which means believing in, trusting in, having confidence in Jesus to provide for you and to take care of your needs will lead to and will be marked by a life of joy. Well, what's that? Joy is not an emotion. Or joy is not, is not an emotion, it's a mindset, right? Joy, a lot of times we confuse joy and happiness. 
We think like happiness is a feeling, happiness is an emotion, joy is a mindset, it's a way of living, it's an attitude, it's an approach to the world, right? The word joy, right, rejoice in this case, it, it literally means to thrive. It's an agricultural term, which would have made a lot of sense back in this day, right? Because people, they, they depended on farms and farming and things like that. And he's basically saying this, like your life, just like, just like your life depends on the food that's grown at a farm, you need that food to thrive. You need those crops to thrive. You need that livestock, whatever it is. You need those things to thrive. Why? Because those things one day are going to feed you. They're going to keep you alive. This word rejoice, it's an agricultural term. It means to thrive, to grow, to flourish. So the opposite of thriving would be things like languish, to struggle, to shrivel up, to die, to dry up, and to die. And so what Paul is saying here is this, is that the with God life is not just meant to survive. It's not just eking out and kind of grinding out an existence and then you die. It's meant for us to thrive. It's meant for us to grow and to flourish. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I came so that they, us, we, can have an abundant life. Same deal. It's in reference to like a harvest that is abundant, a harvest that is more than you could ever imagine, a life that is more than you could ever imagine. Not easy, not easy, but is the way that he intended you and desires for you to live. And Paul says, I got no issue of reminding you of this again and again and again. Why? He says, because it's safe for you. And I started thinking this week as I was reading through this, I was like, why, why would he say that? Like, why would he say it's safe, right? That, 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 like, those two things don't really seem like it's safe for you. Like, why would he say that? Th- this word safe in Philippians literally means a safeguard, right? It's protective in nature. Just think about this. Where, where do you put things that are valuable? In a safe. Why? To keep it safe. Exactly. So Paul's saying, listen, this, this with God life, right, is, is something that's meant to be, that it's meant to thrive. Like you, it's meant for joy. It's meant for rejoicing. And I'm reminding you of this so that you stay safe. So that you protect your minds and, and your hearts. You protect the way that you think and the way that you feel and the way that you see the world, the way you interact with the world. You gotta protect that. And so if we were gonna paraphrase verse one, it would kind of look like this. Thrive in your faith. And in your relationship with the Lord, it's no problem for me to remind you of this simple truth over and over and over again. Because having faith in God will be marked by thriving, flourishing, and growing. And that will protect you and keep you safe from falling into a religion that is draining, exhausting, and destructive. One author I read this week said this, that religion can look a lot like relationship on a surface, but religion will fail to do what you hope it will do in bringing you closer to Jesus, and it will be destructive to your soul and to your spirit if you pursue it. And it's easy for us when it comes to church, Jesus, Christianity, faith. It's easy to fall into this trap of religion, religiosity, and self-righteousness. Why? Because like that dog, it looks like a dog, but really it's a wolf. It looks similar to real, simple faith and faithfulness on the surface. But underneath, it's a wolf. And here's what I mean. When it comes to faith, we usually ask ourselves, 
questions like this. What does it take to be a spiritual person? What does it take to be a godly person? And what does it mean to have faith, right? We, we kind of ask ourselves questions like this. These are at least the questions I ask myself, right? When it comes to being a pastor, someone that's a professional Christian, right? Like, what does it take for me to be considered a spiritual person? What does it take? What's it take for me to be spiritual? What does it take for, for me to be godly? What does it take, what does it mean for me to have and demonstrate faith and faithfulness? Now, crowd interaction moment. Just by show of hands, be honest. When you saw those list of questions on the screen, how many of you started to make a list? How many of you hear questions like that, you start to make a list of the things that, that we are to do and not to do? That's where I go. I mean, in my brain, I start making lists. Like, that's usually the way we try to answer questions like this. We make lists of the things that spiritual people are supposed to do or not do. We make lists about the places that spiritual people are supposed to go and the places that we're not really supposed to go. We make lists of, of the kind of places that, that the, the kind of people that we're supposed to hang out with and not hang out with. We make lists of, of what we're supposed to listen to and the words we say and the movies we watch and what we're supposed to drink and not drink or eat or not eat. And I can remember back in, in, the, in the 90s, right? Any, any like 80s, like any kids born in the 80s? Yeah, great, awesome. You're my people. In like the mid-90s, in kind of church youth group world, there was this, this like massive movement to destroy secular CDs. And I remember I got invited to go to this thing called Bible and Beach. I was, a, I was a junior in high school. It was in over spring break. It was in Panama City, Florida. And the way my friend Daniel got me to go was he told me, it's spring break in Florida without your parents. I didn't realize that it was spring break in Florida without my parents on a church trip at the time because I didn't really care about Jesus that much, right? So I remember there was this night where, you know, some of the, some of the small group leaders got together and like, hey, we're going to, some of our kids brought, brought secular CDs on Bible camp. We're going to destroy them all. Like they got like this hammer and they were going to destroy them on this, this pool deck and their, their plan was to make a mosaic out of it. Like here's like all of these broken CDs. You know, and like I'm, like I'm standing there going, y'all are nuts, Right? And, like, there's some kids, like, throwing CDs out there. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me save that one. Let me save that one. And then let me save this one. And let me say, I'm like, don't, like, I, I got this. I'll break this one. How about that? And then I just kind of put it in my back pocket, like, walk away. I was like, oh, no, it's easy, right? But we make these lists of things that we're supposed to do and not do. And, and we think, like, well, we must destroy everything. Like, everything must go. And here's what happens. Ben Stewart says this, when we make faith into lists of rules, we've created a huge problem for ourselves and for others. Because here's what happens over time. See, we follow the list for a while. But there comes a point when either, number one, you throw the list away the first chance that you get. Right? Example, maybe this is like, you grew up in a Christian home. I hear this a lot when people share their testimonies. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. And I, I've been hearing this. There's this kind of thing that, that, that happened, especially, and I think COVID kind of accelerated it a little bit, like within, within Christian communities and with people that believed in Jesus. It's called deconstruction. Like they're, they're kind of deconstructing and taking apart their faith. And can I just say this? Deconstruction within the confines of Christian community, we just call that growth, Right? Like, there are a lot of things that we need to wrestle with. There's a lot of things we need to deal with. There's a lot of things. There are a lot of things in the way that we believe that we need to kind of take apart and look at it and go, is this really the way it was supposed to be? But deconstruction in isolation, here's what happens. And a lot of the stories would go like this. Like, I realized that my parents just kind of made me go to church growing up. I grew up that way. 
never really kind of made my faith my own, just kind of accepted what was said or accepted what somebody told me about how I'm supposed to live. And, and now I'm at a point where I can decide for myself. I follow the list, but now I'm grown up. And now I can kind of decide for myself. And what I'm realizing is that this never was a relationship. It was a list of rules that I had to do all this to make God happy. And here's the thing, no matter how hard I try, I just ended up being a disappointment to him. And it feels like he's mad at me all the time. And so I'm frustrated, I'm out. That's what happens. For some of us in the room, we know exactly what this feels like. We held onto the list. And it, no matter what we did, it, didn't, it, didn't, it never felt like it was enough. We could never gain or earn God's approval. One author I read said it felt like we always lived under the frown of God. He was always mad at us, always disappointed. So you know what? I, 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 got no, I, I don't need that in my life right now. I got no space for this. So I'm out. So that's the first thing. Number one, you hang on to the list for a while, but you, you toss it the first chance you could get. Number two, you keep the list which might actually be worse than throwing it out. Because here's what happens. By keeping that list, by checking the boxes, it leads to pride. It leads to self-righteousness. You start thinking it's not that Jesus loved me, it's that Jesus, he felt like I deserved this. I deserve a relationship. Jesus looked down at me and said, that guy's better than the rest. He deserves this. You look down on people that haven't kept the list. And you do it in a way that is like the most passive-aggressive dagger to the heart of, oh, bless their heart. It's Mother's Day, right? How many times have your mom looked at you and said, oh, bless your heart? Now you know what she was really saying. Get it together, right? We look at people like that. Get it together, man. Get your life together. You look down on people that haven't kept the list. And by the end, here's what happens. You wind up becoming a judgmental, cold person that doesn't look like, sound like, act like Jesus. You just do a bunch of stuff that you think he would do. And I've said this before, but, but I'll say it again. I'm, I'm pulling a Paul moment, right? I've probably said this a hundred times before, but, but I'm going to say this again. Here's some real truth, right? For those of us that feel like maybe we've earned our way into a relationship with Jesus and that we deserve his love and his affection and his attention, that we deserve salvation because of what we did, we kept the rules, we kept the list better than anybody else who either haven't or couldn't or wouldn't. If that's you, stop calling yourself a Christian because you're not one. If you try your hardest to clean yourself up on the outside, but you ignore Jesus and you ignore your own heart in the process, guess what? You're still lost. It's just a different kind of lost. It's religious lost, which to me is one of the worst kinds of lost because you don't realize that you're lost and you don't think you need to be found. You don't think you need to be found. I read this week, I heard that, that there's, this, there's a great quote that said, like, there's going to be a lot of people in hell that thought they were good, that are really confused at how they ended up there. Like, I thought I was so good. And there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that know they're not. And that's a strong statement. There'll be a lot of people that spend eternal separation from God. And they'll wonder, man, I thought I did enough. 
And there'll be people in heaven who go, I knew I never could. I knew I could never do enough. That's why, why Paul wrote, not once, not twice, but three times, he says, look out for people like this. Look out for people that are prideful, self-righteous, judgmental, the personal list keepers, like the self-appointed religious judges, juries, and executioners you know, of religion and righteousness. He said, it's funny. And, and this is what I love. Paul, who is he's brilliant, whether you love him or hate him, right, he's brilliant. He chooses his words really, pur- really purposely. He calls them dogs, evildoers, and mutilators in the flesh, right, mutilators of the flesh. Those were the exact same terms that the, the people back in this day, like the religious righteous people, those were the same terms they used to describe people who in their eyes were not religious enough. Paul uses their same words against them. Like dogs back in this day, I know it's hard for us to imagine, right? Dogs back in this day weren't pets. You want to talk about what creation really, like what sin really messed up in creation. It was like, I'm I'm convinced that, that dogs were Adam's best friends, man's best friend, right? Sin messed that up, right? So they're not our best friend anymore, right? So here it says, it, it says it, it's interesting that the dogs, they weren't pets. They were scavengers. Dogs were scavengers. Here's what they did. They fed on dead things and garbage. Religious and self-righteous people back in this day, they had dietary laws And they made a huge deal out of what you ate and what you drank or what you didn't eat or what you didn't drink. And so here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, by attempting to feed your faith on a list of rules, you're like a dog that only scavenges, that only eats death and garbage. Then he talks about evildoers. Evildoers do a lot of work, but it's not the work of God. Paul is saying this, that exercising your faith by following a list of rules means that you're going to do a bunch of work. It just won't be God's work. And it won't accomplish what you think it will, or it's not going to get you where you hope you want to go. And then he talks about mutilators of the flesh. That referred to pagan cults who would go back and they would scar themselves and they would cut themselves as a requirement to show their devotion for whatever god or idol they worshipped. And Paul is saying this, following a list of rules is not showing your devotion to God through a covenant relationship. All you're doing is following your contractual obligation. That's all you're doing. You're like a dog that eats death and garbage. It's like an evildoer. You do a lot, but it's not God's work. A mutilator of the flesh. It's not about a relationship. It's just about you doing what you think you need to do to show and prove that you're devoted, which is kind of why Paul makes the shift in verse 3. He says that we're the circumcision. Circumcision, if you don't know what that is, Moms, talk to your kids later, right? Circumcisions, it's an outward symbol. Circumcision was an outward symbol that represented an inward reality, right? It's like, it's like baptism. Baptism that we do here, that's an outward symbol that's representative of an inward reality, right? That I have died to living for myself and that I'm raised new again in a life that's devoted to Jesus, right? That's what that is. It's a wedding ring, right? It's a wedding ring. It's, a, it's, a, it's an outward symbol of an inward reality. I'm married. I'm not, I don't go through life alone, There's another one that I'm in a relationship with, right? Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory, which means to boast in. We're not boasting in our accomplishments. We're boasting in Christ Jesus, which means this. It's it's not about me getting to God on my own, but it's about the truth and the fact that God came to me on his own. He says, we put no confidence, which is that word confide, right? We, we, We don't act with faith, right? We put no faith in the flesh, 
Which means this, by myself, I have nothing to offer God that will make him choose me. You get that? There's nothing that you can offer God for him to go, oh, well, now that you mention that, okay. There's, no, there's nothing that you can offer God that will make him go like, well, you know, if, you're gonna, if, you're, if you can do that, yeah, come on in. There's nothing you and I can offer God to make him choose us. Here's the truth. You know, I think it's great on Mother's Day. You need help. How many times do you reach up to your mom and go, help? I'm 43, I'm still doing it. I can remember my brother and I, when we were little, when we were kids, she tells the story of like what we would do is we'd run to her with our arms up and go, help me, help me. We need help. I read a study this week about the the rapid declination of of church affiliation in the United States. It was a secular publication, right? This was not like a a faith-based magazine or book or whatever. It was a a secular publication. It said this, that every major denomination in the United States right now is in decline. Every single one, some more steeper than others. And it's not just when it comes into attendance. It's it's also with people who... Like, they're, they're not willing to even say anymore that they're affiliated with the church at all. It's not just that people aren't showing up. It's that people, when they're asked, are you affiliated with the church or denomination? Or, nope. The fastest rising group of people when it comes to faith in the United States right now are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Not the other ones. They're, they're doing good, right? People that when they, when they ask, when they're asked, do you have any affiliation? What's your affiliation? I have none. That's the fastest growing group of people in the U.S. right now. And when asked about this, one major, one, one official in one of the, the larger denominations said this, that people have rejected a version of Christianity that's pri- primarily made up of a list of external rules. As I'm reading this, I'm, I'm going, really? Like, you, you don't say. Like, you wonder, wonder why. Like, wonder why People have rejected a version of Christianity that's primarily made up of a list of external rules. Like, are you serious? Like, you just now catching on? But then reading that and studying the verses that, that, that we're talking about, along with hundreds more, it hit me, right? It's not just that people are, are rejecting a version of Christianity that's built on lists and external rules. If you actually read the Bible, what you learn is the Bible rejects that too. The Bible says that's not it. And for me, as I'm reading this about people walking away from this version of, this like twisted version of faith that we've put together, right, I'm getting mad. And the reality is some of you may be the same way. You may be like, that, that kind of makes me mad. Paul's madder about it than any of us. He's, that's not it, guys. That's not it, ladies. That's not how we do this. So Paul, he goes into this. Check out what he says in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for, for, for having confidence in the flesh too, right? He says this, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in their flesh, faith in their flesh, faith in what you can do, he says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm, a tri- I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews as to the law. I'm a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I have, he says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul moves from like agricultural language into accounting language. 
He starts using accounting terms, financial terms, assets, liabilities, gains and losses. And Paul essentially says this, if you want to play the game of who has more reason, more, more reason to confide, to act with faith in their flesh, in their own accomplishments, to earn their way into a relationship with God, Paul says, I will win every time. If you want to play that game, I'll win. And Paul uses his own list to show us how absurd list making is. How absurd list enforcing is when it comes to faith. I mean, he's just brilliant the way that he approaches this stuff. But looking at what he says, he says, whatever, whatever I had to gain, whatever I had to gain, I did everything. Like I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what you, that's what, that was in accordance with religious law, Jewish religious law. Most people back in this day, they got circumcised whenever they could. He's like, no, man, I did it right on day eight. I'm of the people of Israel. I mean, Paul, you got to remember, he's speaking to, to a European country, right? He's speaking to, to a different people group, right? He says, I'm, I'm of the people of Israel. I come from them. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which why does he mention the tribe that he's from? Here's why. When, when Israel was conquered and taken into captivity, a lot of people, when they were taken away, lost their lineage. They lost the, their family tree. Paul says, nah, I still got mine. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means this, I actually can speak Hebrew. Back then they were speaking Aramaic, but Paul goes, now I can take you one step further. I can speak Hebrew. As to the law, Pharisee, I belong to the greatest of the law keepers. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, I literally, Paul, before he bumps into Jesus, was literally killing and imprisoning Christians to stomp out the church and movement of Jesus. As to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. I've done nothing wrong, but that's all loss. It means this. I wasted my time, my talent, and my treasure investing in religion, religiosity, and self-righteousness. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, which literally means this. Anything that I could say, think about this, okay? Anything that I could say, anything that you could say to make yourself feel valued, to make yourself feel confident, to make yourself feel worth something, anything you could point to to make someone think that you were important. Whether it's your job, students, whether it's your grades, or your friend groups, maybe you hang out with the, 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 the coolest people in the neighborhood, right? Or it's your successes. You can point to all the success you've had in your life. Or maybe it's your bank account balance. Or maybe it's your title. Or maybe it's your address, where you live, your zip code. Maybe it's what you park in your garage and you drive every day, right? You can point to all this and go, see, I matter. I told you I was important. I told you I'm valuable. I told you I'm worth something. Paul says it's all a loss. Anything that you try to point to on your own, it's a loss. If he were here today, he would say this, you're wasting your time, your talent, your treasure by checking boxes on the list. When you compare that with simply knowing Jesus. Church, you want to know what the goal of simple faith is? Real simple, to know Jesus more and more and more. That's it. That's the goal of simple faith. 
Which is why Paul says this. He says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish. Which rubbish in Greek is a slang word for poop, and I don't have to translate that one for you, right? You can put that one together. That's real. He says, I count it all as stuff, right? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not having a self-made righteousness that comes from religion, but this, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Don't miss this, church. Don't miss this. This is the clearest picture and clearest example you're going to find of simple faith. Simple faith says this, that we believe in the righteousness that's only found in Jesus that comes from God and is attained through faith. Believing in Jesus, being confident that he can provide you with what you need in life, that he can take care of you. Simple faith says this, I'm not righteous because of what I've done. I'm righteous because God says I am. Simple faith says, I believe what Jesus says about himself is true, and I believe what Jesus says about me is true. That even though my past might say, This is who you are, and this is what you've done. What Jesus says is, you're mine. You're my friend. Simple faith says I'm saved from sin and death, not because of what I can do or I can earn, but because God the Father provided a way through his son, Jesus. That's it. You don't need anything else. And here's how simple faith works out. Paul says to kind of close out these verses, 11 and 12, he says, I count all this stuff as loss. I don't pay any attention to that. I don't give my time, my talent, and my treasure to checking boxes on a list. Why? So that I can know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, that I can share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and that by any means possible, I can attain the resurrection from the dead, just like Jesus. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make this my own. Why? Because Jesus has already made me his own. That's beautiful. I don't have to worry about checking the boxes or or doing the list work. I don't have to worry about religion. I can be in a relationship. Why? so that I can know Jesus. And by being in that relationship, Jesus takes care of the rest. Jesus takes care of all of us. I mean, he says, I love the way Jesus even closes out the Sermon on the Mount. He says, listen, just keep your eyes on me. Pursue my kingdom. And I'll take care of everything else. He says, seek first my kingdom and everything you need will be added to you. Everything you need, you'll be taken care of. Church, I need you to be simple today as we wrap up. Keeping the list is not what Christianity is all about. We will not thrive in our faith by making moral superiority our mission. We thrive in simple faith when our mission is becoming like Jesus. We thrive in simple faith when it's a relationship over a list of rules. We thrive in simple faith when instead of believing in a set of principles, we believe in and we believe on the person of Jesus to save us. That's how we thrive. In John 17, Jesus, as he's praying in the garden, just before he's gonna be arrested and crucified, he prays this. 
private prayer just between he and his father. He invited a disciple to kind of sit close enough to him to listen to it, to write it down. But this is what Jesus says to his father about simple faith. He says this, it's, he says eternal life is that you know God, the one true God, and Jesus who he sent. The with God life, eternal life, does not start the day of your death. The eternal life is meant to be lived in the present. That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe. Turn away from lists and rules and religiosity so that you can turn towards Jesus. It's that simple. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna worship together. If today you wanna make a decision for Christ, you wanna say, listen, I'm ready to trust him. I'm ready to confide, right? To, to act on faith in Jesus. I've been trusting all this other junk in my life and now I wanna trust him. I'll meet you down front. would love to chat with you about that. If today you wanna join our church, you wanna become a part of this church family where, listen, we make mistakes. If we haven't disappointed you yet, just give us time. We make mistakes, but nobody gets canceled in this place. They get cared for. If today you, you wanna join this church, you wanna be a part of this family, love to meet you down front. We can talk about that. If today you just need prayer, I'm gonna be down front on this side. Nick and Christy will be on this side. If you, need, if you need prayer, you can come forward. Would love to pray with you. If you just wanna spend some time at the cross, there's a space over here where you can just spend some time and just go, listen, I, need to, I just need to, kind of like Jesus, have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with, with me and God where he says, listen, God, I've been trying to earn this thing, but I realize I can't earn it anymore. I just, I, help me. And you get to receive that grace and that mercy and that help that he says is always available. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you today that, that we get a chance to unpack your word, that, that, that faith really is that simple. It is that we believe and we believe, we believe in and we believe on you to save us and set us free from sin and death. That's it. What we're invited into is a new reality, a new way to live that doesn't start at the moment of our passing. It starts now. It can start now. Things can be different now. So Jesus, today I pray that we would be set free. Set free of religion and religiosity and self-righteousness so that we can find the righteousness that only comes from you. That we count all of this other stuff as loss when we compare it with just simply knowing you. And I love that. I love that it's I counted all as loss. It, it doesn't read, I counted all as loss for the sake of doing all the things Jesus wants me to do. It's no, I counted all as loss for the sake of just knowing you. Father, will we know you today? I pray all this in your name. Amen.